Revelation 21, verse 11. Revelation chapter 21, verse 11. This is the fun part. We got through the rough start in Revelation 20, the rough stuff throughout the whole book of Revelation primarily, and now we're getting into the fun stuff. And uh, I've been preaching this to my uh, folks at Sky Vista uh, Assisted Living Center, and they seem to be enjoying it. You know, we, uh, as Christians, we approach death in a different way. You know, they'll have people come out and try to give them some kind of kind words about dying or what have you. You know, we lay it out flat on the line. If you're a Christian, death is the greatest day you'll ever have in your life, and it just begins there. You know, just don't don't rush it. Just wait till God calls you, but that'll be the greatest day you'll ever live. That's that's the approach of, of, of the believer. You know, and I've I've heard guys say it. I've said it. You know, if somebody say, how you doing? Well, I'm walking on the grass. I'm not pushing it up, and it's better to be seen than to be viewed and all that stuff. None of that stuff is true for a Bible believer. The day that we die will be the greatest day in our lives, and it only begins and it gets better. So anyway, Revelation 21, we all there? All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you this evening, and again, we are so grateful we can be in church tonight. We thank you for the roof over our head. You've sent us rain out there that we've needed, but we're dry in here. And we thank you for all the blessings that you bestowed upon you, all of us. Food in our bellies, clothes in our back. Lord, we've got so much to be thankful for. You've spoiled us, and we know where it came from, and we are grateful for everything you've done. Tonight, Lord, we are delving into the best of the best, and Lord, what we have to look forward to. And uh, Father, we uh, have such a difficult time comprehending this. You've given us enough that we can get an idea, but not enough where we really can grasp what this is like. And so we're looking forward to the day. Bless us tonight. Lord, use this to encourage us. Use this to help us have the correct perspective on whatever we go through down here. And Lord, all you got to work with up here is a piece of dirt. We pray that you take this piece of dirt and fill it with your spirit and your power, your passion, your words, your wisdom, and minister to us tonight. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Revelation 21, let's go back to verse 11 or go to verse 11. I think we kind of stopped there last week. Revelation 21, verse 11. He says, having the glory of God. Now, this is about the new Jerusalem, the big city coming down. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. So the light that is emanating from this city is, this is like a jasper stone clear as crystal. And we talked a little bit about that. Uh, that jasper stone shows up again in Revelation chapter 4, verse 3. It says, he that sat... Uh, he and he that sat was to look upon like jasper and sardine, which is ruby. So they're looking at a vision of God on the throne, and it's the clearness of the jasper, and it's also got the red of a ruby. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And so you look at that, and you say, now wait a minute, preacher, jasper is not clear. And if I had my rock hounds here tonight, they would probably help me with that, but... Uh, we're not talking about any kind of jasper we know down here. See, that's the difficult thing. We're going to go through the foundational stones of the wall. <clears throat> and the difficult thing is uh, John was trying to reveal the best he could what that looked like. And he's listing off gems that, that, that appeared to be that or were that. But understand this, it may not be the same as we have here. Uh, our stones here, gems here for the most part, uh, are the residual effect of the flood. Um, there are three kinds of rock, igneous, sedimentary, and metamorphic. Igneous rocks form when molten rock, which is magma and lava, cools and solidifies. Well, I don't think when the Lord created things originally, he had volcanoes. Volcanoes are the result of the flood. Sedimentary rocks originate when particles settle out of water or air or by precipitation of minerals from water. 
they accumulate in layers. When did layers come? God didn't create this thing with layers, but it has layers. And if you drive around here enough, you notice that some of these layers in the rocks go like this, and then they bend and they go like that. The result of the flood. And then the metamorphic rock results when existing rocks are changed by heat, pressure, radioactive fluids such as hot, mineral-laden water. All of the rocks are formed either because of water or because of heat. And that would have been the result of the flood. And these rocks are somewhat contaminated. You wonder why one rock has a green tint to it, one has an orange tint to it. And they'll tell you it's because a certain mineral got into this one or another mineral got into that one. And basically it's kind of a a contamination thing. We've never seen a clear jasper stone. But in heaven, they have them. And we'll be amazed at what we see up there. So don't let that throw you. Gemstones are a product of the earth. Some, like diamond and zircon, were formed deep in the earth and brought to the surface by explosions of molten rock. Again, volcano. Many, like topaz and tourmaline and aquamarine, crystallized slowly from hot fluids and gases as they cooled and solidified far below the surface of the earth as a result of the flood. So the majority of stones that we have uh, have been somewhat contaminated as a result of the flood. I mean, they're still beautiful. A diamond is still beautiful. An emerald is still beautiful. Uh, But some of them have been a little bit contaminated and may not be exactly what God has in heaven and what God is using to make uh, the foundational stones for the wall that goes around the New Jerusalem. Now, I was going to say all of these rocks were formed, and these gems were formed because of the flood, but that would have been a mistake. Because Genesis chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and you can turn there if you like, it's talking about creation. God has created the man, put him in the garden, and he's describing a little bit about the Garden of Eden. He says there's a river in there, and then the river breaks out into four heads. And then he mentions in 11 and 12, he says the name of the first was Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold. So there was gold at the beginning. And the gold of that land is good. There's bdellium and onyx stones. So there's gold and bdellium and onyx stones that were part of the uh, creation and not a result of the flood. So some of the uh, gems and stones we have here were created here. Some are the result of the flood. So we're looking at the city. And we're told that the city has light with like clear a jasper like crystal. So think of a crystal, and I'm not talking about Schuler's Crystal Cathedral. Think of a real big crystal thing, okay? Crystal chandelier or something. And think about how the light goes through that. Now just imagine, you've got, a, you've got the light permeating this thing. Where does the light come from? Not General Electric, not uh, SRP. It comes from God. God himself is the source of this light. And so it is permeating this crystal-like building. But we're also told, and we'll see in a little bit, that the city's also made out of pure gold, which is clear as glass. So the building, another building element of the city is what looks to be like glass, but it's tinted where, it, uh, where we would know it's gold, but just tinted enough. And, it's, and, and again, the city's made out of this stuff, and the light will be shining through that stuff. It'll be reflecting off of that stuff. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal structure. And here I go getting frustrated already. It's so difficult to try to preach this because no matter what I say, I cannot get it right. I cannot say what I'm... No, I, I don't even know what it looks like. I'm just, try, I'm just trying to imagine this as I go, and uh, it's just phenomenal. Revelation 21, starting at verse 12. Now, here's the wall. Had a, great, had a wall great and high, had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So we've got this wall, which is great and high. And if you drop down to verse 17, it tells you how great and high it is. It says, and he measured the wall thereof 140 
and four cubits, 12 times 12, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. So it's 216 feet tall if it's an 18-inch cubit, which would be, if you, you look at figures like that and say, how can, I re, how can I fathom that? Well, figure a story in a, sky, a, story in a building, every 10, every 10 feet is a story. So if you look at a building that's about 21 or 21 and a half stories high, that's how high this wall is. I don't know if we have a building around here that tall. Is there anything in Mesa that's 21 and a half stories? I don't think so. I know there isn't an Apache Junction. And the highest building on Apache Junction is that one uh, big sign. Uh, but think of a 21 and a half story building. <laughs> um, that's how high this wall is going to be. And why a wall? So what preacher, why would there be a wall? There's no crime. There's nothing bad out there that could happen to us. Why would you, why would you have a wall? Well, because walls go with cities. I mean, if you look at a city, they had a wall in, in that day. And so if you wouldn't have seen a wall, you would have said, what's wrong here? There's no wall. Cities have to have walls. There are certain things in construction that uh, in, in, in your mind you think, well, it, it's missing something. I remember when I came out here six and a half years ago, and I looked around six years ago, my wife's frowning, six years ago, six and a third years ago. Yeah, six and a fourth. Anyway, I came out here, and I'm from Toledo, Ohio. You know what it does in Toledo, Ohio? It rains. You know what it does out here? Very, very, very rarely does it rest. 140-some days before we'd have a measurable rain like we're having tonight. In Toledo, it rains. It rains a lot in the spring. It rains a lot in the fall. It rains throughout the summer. And you know what we have on houses in Toledo? We have eaves troughs. Now, they have a few of them out here. They're starting to put eaves troughs on houses out here. But I'm looking at all this stuff with the Spanish clay tile. None of them have eaves troughs. And to me, that's not a house. <laughs> I mean, a house has to have an eaves trough. That's what I'm used to seeing. And uh, if it's missing, I'm thinking, what's wrong here? And I'm looking at this thing, the same, the, this thing right here the same way. If the New Jerusalem hadn't had a wall, it'd say, oh, what's wrong? What's going on here? It has to have a wall to be, to be a building or be a, a city, I should say. Uh, just my opinion. Uh, also, there's a wall because it's symbolic of the distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament saints compared to the believers from the tribulation and the millennium who inherit the earth. Now, we're going to talk more about that next week. But there are two types of people that will be existing here. There will be the resurrected ones that will be existing primarily in the New Jerusalem. And then there will be the people that live through the tribulation, uh, went through the millennium, went through the great white throne, their name was in the book, but they still have a body, not a resurrected body. And they're going to be given a body like Adam and, he, Adam and Eve had at the beginning. And remember, the Lord promised to the Jew, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. So the Jew was given the promise of the earth, and they'll get the earth. And they'll get the earth uh, in a body like Adam and Eve had. And when you get that, when you understand that, you'll understand why there's a tree of life in heaven. And you'll understand why it's for the healing of the nations. You'll understand what it means when the nations uh, are in the light of it. There are two classes of people. And they have to partake of the tree of life in order to uh, live forever. And that's what was said about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they got kicked out of the garden, and the Lord put two cherubim around the tree of life and said, make sure nobody, they don't get to that, because if they get to that, they'll have eternal life. And we don't want them to have eternal life in a fallen condition. But there will be those that will have bodies like Adam and Eve that will partake of the tree of life and they will be inheriting the earth and all that goes with that. And we will be the ones in this big, beautiful city. But the gates are open. I mean, there's gates of pearl there, but they're open. There's not, you know, there's no keep out you human signs. You know, it's, it's open to everybody. But there is a difference. And so the wall is a little bit of a distinction between the resurrected and simply the human, the perfect humans, okay? Just symbolic, though, not, not to keep anybody out. Again, it's certainly not for safety or security. 
Revelation 21, 25 through 27 talks about, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. It's not restricted. Verse 26, They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So there will be movement from the uh, those that are inheriting the earth be able to move in and out of this city. Uh, they'll have that that access. So, And that's why I think there's a wall around it. So the number 12 shows up here quite a bit. If you look in the context, we just read 12 gates, three per side, symbolizing access from all directions, 12 angels, and one of them is not St. Peter. <laughs> That's just another Catholic myth that, that crept in there. St. Peter is not at the gate. He said, well, I heard this joke. Well, you hear a lot of jokes about St. Peter at the gate. Uh, he's not at the gate. Where, so where is he? He's in the city with the rest of us. Uh, these are just angels that are by the gates. Uh, Twelve tribes mentioned here. Twelve foundations, which is a picture of the New Testament church. Twelve names of the apostles. This connects this city to the New Testament believers. Also, Revelation twenty-one twenty, the twelfth foundation stone is the amethyst, there's 12 there. Revelation 21, 21, there are 12 pearls that the 12 gates consist of. So you have 12 mentioned seven times. Seven is God's perfect number. 12 is God's perfect number for government. So finally man has God's perfect government on the earth. Hallelujah. Uh, If Sean Hannity makes it to heaven, he'll have nothing to talk about. Politics will be over. All these talk shows will be, be done. They'll have nothing to talk about. Um, and that's good, because they get tired of hearing it. <laughs> Revelation 21, look at verse 15. He that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So here's this angel, and he's got a golden reed. Say, why was it gold? Because everything is now made of gold in that location. So he's got a golden reed. And he's going to measure. And angels have been measuring throughout the Scripture. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, if you want to turn there. This is when the two witnesses were on earth. And there's going to be a measuring of the temple. Revelation 11 and verse 1 says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 40, if you'd like to turn there. Ezekiel chapter 40, if you're familiar with the book of Ezekiel, you know that this is the architect's dream. Chapter 40 to the end because it's describing the construction of the millennial temple. And if you're not into engineering, if you're not into architecture, you're going to be bored silly reading it. But it describes everything the way it's going to be. Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 3, He brought me thither, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass, with a line of flax in his hand, and a measuring reed, and he stood in the gate, and they're going to measure. So here we go measuring again. Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah says, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked. Behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? He said unto me to measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. So there's a lot of measuring going on uh, with these angels in the New New Testament and the Old Testament. And uh, measuring is a way to determine... uh, things. Um, we all are a little bit different in stuff. Uh, the One of the knocks on from being in northwest Ohio is that if somebody says, how far is Detroit from Toledo? We don't tell them how many miles. We say, well, about 45, 50 minutes. That's, that's the way we do it. And other people would say, well, it's about 45, 50 miles. We'd say, oh, 45, 50 minutes. How far is Columbus? About two and a half hours. <laughs> that's, just, that's just the way we are. And for some reason, the Lord likes to measure stuff and uh, he's throughout here measuring things. And you just hope you measure up, amen? So he measures the city, and we get the, the, the dimensions. 
He measures the wall, and we get the dimensions. He measures the gates, and we never are given the size of the gates. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then he mentions this, that the city is four square. Now, I have heard so much about four square. Uh, again, there was a guy in Dayton, Ohio, years ago, gave me a, a little thing that he'd worked out, and he, he proved that it was an octahedron, which is a pyramid, uh, you know, two pyramids base to base, you know. And so that's what it is. That's, it's an octahedron. And he had a bunch of stuff, and I, I read it, and I'm thinking, we're missing some scripture here somewhere. Because that's not what it's saying, but there's that, some very great Bible teachers believe that this thing is a pyramid or two pyramids base to base, and I wish I could believe that, but I can't because I don't see it in the word foursquare. And I did a, did a search of the word foursquare all the way back to A.D. 1300. It means having four equal sides with four plus square put together, four equal sides. Foursquare, Webster's 1828, having four sides and four angles equal quadrilangle, Okay. We know this thing is a cube because we're given the depth, the width, and the height, okay? We know it's a cube, and that's about as far as we can go with it. One writer said this, most interpreters envision the New Jerusalem as a cube, and in my view, this is probably, probably correct. A cube has 12 edges, pyramid has only eight. The description of New Jerusalem makes abundant use of the number 12 and never uses the number eight. The New Jerusalem has 12 gates, 12 foundations, Walls 144 cubits high, dimensions measuring 12,000 stadia, 1,500 miles. This widespread use of 12 coheres with the major use of 12 elsewhere in Revelation, New Testament, is the number of God's people. The city becomes the bride of Christ when it is filled with saved humanity. While the text does not specify the shape, a cube would be consistent with the symbolism of Revelation. And there's another fellow that, uh, that put it this way. He said, there are many nice ideas designed to magnify the Lord that are set forth as doctrine, but which cannot be supported by Scripture. One of them is that the city is a pyramid. Such a shape would allow the throne to be at the apex and the river to flow down through, assuming that the laws of gravity are the same. Before putting too much weight upon this idea, however, one should keep in mind that the pyramid is a shape used nowhere in the Bible, Yet it is a favorite structure of paganism. It is seen in Egypt and in Mexico, and it is the basic shape of the stepped ziggurat of Babylonia with the truncated apex dedicated to the worship of heavenly bodies. So, as far as I can see, this thing is a cube. Length times width times height. Does it ever show up again in Scripture? Well, it showed up in 1 Kings chapter 6. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Kings chapter 6. We have a cubicle structure in 1 Kings chapter 6. And if you're thinking 1 Kings, you know what's going on when we get to the first few chapters of, of 1 Kings. And that is Solomon's temple is being built. 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 20 says this, And the oracle, what's the oracle? It's the holy of holies. They had a holy of holies in the tabernacle. And when Solomon's temple is built, it's a replica kind of that plus more grander. But the oracle, excuse me, and the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in breadth, 20 cubits in height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold and so covered the altar which was of cedar. And so you have in that oracle you have the Ark of the Covenant with the, with the cherubim with her wings outstretched this way and this way and that is the place in the Holy of Holies where the priest was only allowed to go once a year, Day of Atonement, where God would come down and meet with them and, and accept the sacrifice. And that's a cube. And that's the only other cubed uh, thing we have in Scripture that goes along with that. Obviously not the same size, but it's cubical. And it is covered with gold. And that, again, is a picture of what's in the New Jerusalem. All the gold. Now, let's talk about the dimensions of the city. And when I talk about the dimensions of the city, this is where I usually get in trouble. I'm trying to figure this thing out. So, 
we have the city being 12,000 furlongs, okay? Now, if you've spent a lot of time at the horse track, you probably haven't let me know what a furlong is. Most of us haven't. A 12,000, 12, a furlong equals one, an eighth part of a mile, okay? Or 40 rods, that'll help you. 220 yards, or 660 feet. So the length, breadth, and height of this city are 12,000 times 660 feet. I'm sorry, one-eighth, which is one-eighth of a mile, 660 feet. Um, 12,000 times 660 feet equals 7,920,000 feet divided by 5280 equals 1,500 miles. So the city is 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, 1,500 miles high. That's not hard. One cubic mile, one of the cubic miles within this big city would contain 640 acres, 640 acres in one square mile. So the base of a cubic mile would be 640 acres. An uh, acre is 43,560 square feet, and when you want to think about an acre, think about the size of a football field without the end zones, which if you're a Bears fan, you don't worry about the end zones anyway. They very seldom make it there. Um, you were a deacon, brother. <laughs> so anyway, think of a football field from the goal line to goal line and across, and that's about an acre. But then the next question is, I mean, this is just talking about one, one cubic mile out of all the cubic miles in this thing, one cubic mile. But how high is that? Well, here I'm trying to, how high would each, well, let me read the verse. Amos chapter nine, verse six. He that buildeth his stories in the heaven. Okay, so there are stories in the heaven. I'm assuming it's in this structure right here. Stories is used four other times, and it always has to do with construction, okay? So we're talking about stories. So there are stories up there. So the next question is, how many stories in one cubic mile? Well, if there are none, there could be none. There could be one story. There could be four. We don't know. The next question is, how many people have ever lived on earth and how many of them were saved? Well, there's a good question. And you do the research and an organization called Our World in Data, March of 2022, said that the number of people that have actually lived on this planet is 109 billion. Okay? So how did they figure that? They figured it... You know, taking into consideration child, uh, infant, infantile morality, um, those that have died because of uh, weather situations or what have you. They try to consider all of that stuff. Wars. So about half the people who ever lived here, and by the way, about half the people who ever lived on this planet lived in the past 2,000 years. That's interesting. But this doesn't include miscarriages and abortions. So we add a little bit to that. Of those 109, and let's round it off to 110, 110 billion, how many of them are saved? Well, there's a good question. Matthew chapter 7, and you can turn there if you'd like, Matthew chapter 7. Very familiar text. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. So we have many, and we have few. Many go into destruction, few that go into eternal life, okay? Go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 5. God is instructing Ezekiel on a, uh, an illustration he is to use. This is one of those things we use in junior church where you illustrate something. What do we call that? What do you guys in junior church call it? When you, when you take something in as an... Uh, 
Object lesson. Thank you very much. This is an object lesson. God has given Ezekiel an object lesson, and it has to do, well, let's read it. Verse 2, thou shalt burn with fire a third part in the midst of the city. When the days of the siege are filled, fulfilled, thou shalt take a third part and smite about it with a knife, and a third part thou shalt scatter in the wind. He's talking about hair, okay? You're taking this hair. You're burning a third of it. Um, you're taking a third part and smiting it with a knife. You're taking a third part and scattering it to the wind. He said, I'll draw out a sword after them. And then verse 3, Thou shalt also take there a few in number and bind them in thy skirts. There's your remnant right there. So you've got some, you know, going to the wind and some being burnt and some being uh, hit with a knife or what have you. But you've got a few that are being bound in the skirts. So again, you've got a lot, many, and you've got few. Now go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I don't know if you realized it yet or not, but the majority of people do not believe the way you believe. And uh, there's many of them out there that... uh, wouldn't, wouldn't darken the doors of a church or wouldn't accept what we believe or wouldn't want to know what the Bible said and all that, but there's a few that do. Many, few. Isaiah chapter 6, this is that vision that Isaiah has of the Lord high and lifted up. He said, I saw his train, it filled heaven, and the Lord begins to talk to him. And uh, Isaiah is cleansed while he's up there, and the Lord basically asks a question, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, I'll go. And... Verse 12 says, And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land, but yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return. A tenth. Okay. A lot of them gone astray, but there's a tenth that are there. And that's called the tenth principle. It is very possible that of all the human beings that have ever existed on the face of this earth, that have had the option of trusting Christ as their Savior or believing what God would have them to believe, a tenth of them responded. You think about an Elijah's day. Remember Elijah was having his, uh, his uh, little issue and he was in the cave and he was pouting because, you know, I'm doing everything. Nobody else is doing anything but me. And, and the Lord, you know, gave him the, the, the earthquake and the wind and the fire and then he spoke to him in a still small voice. And... Uh, Elijah didn't, still didn't get it. And he said, I don't, I don't, I'm, you know, where is everybody else? I'm the only one doing this stuff. And then the Lord said, look, you're going to go over here and anoint this king. You're going to go there and do that. You're going to find Elisha and you're going to uh, make him your assistant for a while until he takes over your ministry. And by the way, Elijah, there are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to me. Okay? If that's a tenth, then there were 70,000 in Jerusalem. Oh, I think there were more than that in Jerusalem. But again, we see the many, we see the few. Now, these verses that I gave you, well, a couple of those verses I gave you, are when Israel's backslidden, okay? So you, you've got the worst of it. And there were times when Israel was living right. But if you want to average it out, then you're, a good place to start is 10%, Okay? So, and think about the death rate during the tribulation. We talked about that. A lot of death during the tribulation. So that would, you know, really knock that percentage down. But let's just start with 10%, okay? Now, cubic miles in the city. Let's just talk about the cubic miles that are in this city that's 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles, and 1,500 miles. Listen closely, you math guys, and tell me where I'm wrong. But the cubic miles in this city would be 3,375,000,000 cubic miles in the New Jerusalem. If all the people ever living on earth, which let's say 110 uh, trillion, no, billion, 110 billion, then 32 people would occupy a cubic mile. Okay? Does that make sense? 32 people would occupy a cubic mile. But that's if everybody 
made it to heaven. And we know everybody's not going to make it to heaven. So if we use the tenth principle, then 3.2, or let's say 3 to 4 people, will have exist per cubic mile, or their mansions will be per cubic mile. Let me put something up on the screen here, which I did rather quickly, so it may not be the best. Yeah, okay. I can I can hit that thing, Micah. I can do it that way and it reflects off of that and starts it? Yeah. Okay. I'll do that next time. <laughs> All right, so I've tried to with my great drawing skills. I have tried to It says it's on, okay. I've tried to make this somewhat understandable. You guys are in for a treat. <laughs> okay. So, Mario, if you could turn off the first two lights in that four lights section there. And I'll get the ones up here. <laughs> yes, I will. Okay, so let's push it play. Okay, so this is the 1500 mile by 1500 mile by 1500 mile structure, okay? Now it's not gonna look like that. It's gonna be gold, not blue. But anyway, there's the cube, okay? This is one cubic mile and it's, this is not up to scale. Understand this. If I made this up to scale, you wouldn't be able to see it. But let's just suppose this is just one cubic mile right here. And if you put the Superstition Mountain right next to it, you have about the same height, okay? Superstition is just a little below 5280. So one cubic mile right there. Now think about that. Now let's go to the next one. Okay. So if you have, let's say four people, okay? Here you have the cubic mile. This is one cubic mile. If you have four in this one cubic mile, each person will occupy, if they're just at the base of this thing, 160 acres. 640 acres make a square mile. So divide that by four. Each one would have 160 acres, okay? Now that's just at the base of the thing. But are there stories? My wife's laughing already. Are there stories? Well, if there's one story, then you have eight. And let's not just say people. Let's say mansions, okay? Here's the mansions or the apartments, as the other Bibles say. <laughs> here are the here eight, okay? You just have two floors. But you have 2,640 feet between the two, Okay? If there are four floors, you've just turned eight into 16, right? Yeah. And that's with, okay, 16 people, 16 mansions in one cubic mile. And if you have more floors than that, you have room for more mansions. How big is your mansion? I don't know. Think about this, ladies. You don't have to clean it, so it might as well be as big as you want. <laughs> but that's just a perspective of one cubic mile. Will there be enough room in heaven for everybody? And I want you to just think about this. There are Bibles out there, the fake Bibles, that say, in my Father's house are many apartments, in my Father's house are many rooms. None of them did the math. Because if you do the math, there's no way that's an apartment. And they're building some big apartments around here, but <laughs> that's not an apartment. And it certainly isn't a room. So when your King James Bible says mansions, that's what that is. It's all in the one building, I get that. But they're mansions. 
So if you ever have a concern about, is there enough room in heaven for everybody? I believe God made heaven originally to have enough room for everybody. The same reason why he put everybody's name in the book of life to start out with, because he's pretty positive. But he also has foreknowledge, and he knew. He knew so many would reject him. But he left it like that, and there it is. And that thing was in existence at the time of Jesus because Jesus said, in my Father's house are, are. I believe this thing was made, prepared, uh, even before the time of Jesus Christ. And the only difference may be that he has prepared it, he has made it, but then he prepares it for each one of us individually. Uh, Some of you guys have wanted a man cave. There you go. And your wife won't go in there rearranging everything. And by the way, this is, these mansions are for one person. You say, is my wife or husband going to live with me? I don't know. I don't know if they're going to want to. But think about that. Each mansion, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. We're not so I told you. I go and prepare a place for you. So your mansion will be Something that is just knocks your socks off. Joe? Three people per square mile. Yeah. Okay. Let, I'm giving them the break, four people. Give them, a, give them a break, four people. Okay. Yeah. Now, is it going to be lonely? <laughs> I don't think so. But everybody's going to be kind of spread out like that, right? Can you imagine what this mansion's going to look like? Think of your dream house. And I watch those HGTV shows where they're talking about so-and-so's dream house, the ten most beautiful houses in the world and all that. Listen, compared to this, they're outhouses. That's the best I can describe. The most beautiful mansion in this world compared to that is an outhouse. I mean, a fancy outhouse, but it's an outhouse. This is This is... Incredible, Joe. I stand corrected. I per, cubic mile, per, cubic mile. per cubic mile, right. And that's what we have if we don't have this floor here, and if we go with four people, then you've got four people per cubic mile. But, but how high is your mansion going to be? And is God going to waste all that room up there? I think he's going to have stories. And there's going to be the mansions. And, uh, you know, I, I, maybe he makes it our choice if we want to live with our wives or our husbands or what have you. Um, the advantage of not living with your wife is the furniture will always stay in the same place at the, all, all the time. <laughs> and the advantage for the wives is, I don't know. You'd have to ask a wife. But anyway, that's, that's what I'm, I, that's the best I can come up with. And... suffice it to say there's plenty of room in heaven for everybody and from that point I I have no idea I have no idea alright you can go and get the lights back on but you do understand why you know in my father's house are not many rooms or apartments that's the dumbest thing you ever heard in your life I've heard a lot of guys criticize that you know they say rooms or apartments I got a mansion but never did the math to say this is why Now you know this is why it's a mansion and not a room in an apartment. Okay. Let me give you a couple verses and we'll be done. Go to... Oh, don't listen to it. Go to Isaiah. I'm jumping ahead here. Isaiah 64 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Isaiah 64 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Anybody excited? I told you, you know, last week that when we get raptured, we'll think, man, it doesn't get any better than this. And then we serve him during the millennium and in the New Jerusalem at that time, we'll think, man, it won't get any better than this. And then we watch God destroy everything and make it all new and say, wow, it's not going to get any better than this. I mean, it's just 
progressively getting better, better, and better. Isaiah chapter 64, look at verse 4 if you would. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. Boy, what an understatement. Since the beginning of the world, we have not been able to hear it, perceive it, see it, what God has prepared for them that wait on him. First Corinthians chapter 2, Paul repeats that. First Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. He says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And we still can't get it. He goes on in verse 10, God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. So the Spirit gave us some information, 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles. Here's the wall, here's the foundation. He gave us some information so we can grasp what I tried to make up there. We can get a little bit of an idea of that. But when it's all said and done, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither then in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them and it'll be an exciting time it'll be a great time and this this book this book is the only book that tells you about heaven what does the Quran say you have to walk across something as thin as a hair and if you make it across you're in and if you don't you fall in the in the fire and you burn forever and that's about it other than, you know, you've got 72 uh, virgins waiting on you and every carnal thing a man would want is their idea of heaven, proving it can't be God's, God's word because it's just the rantings of a carnal man who wants a bunch of young women waiting on him and etc., etc., etc. There's no book that gives you the dimensions and the material it's made out of and the order in which it is laid out and nothing like that. And I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because I can't take you any farther than I took you. So you're going to just have to go home and say, Lord, show me. And he's not. He's not. He showed the Apostle Paul. You remember that story? He's caught up into the third heaven. He sees all that stuff up there. And the Lord says, I'm sending you back home. And Paul's saying, oh, okay. And the Lord says, keep your mouth shut about what you saw here. Don't you dare tell anybody what you saw. And so Paul heads back to earth. And you know what he starts doing? He starts preaching at the roughest places you can preach, thinking, you know what? I preach there, they might kill me. And God said, no, you're not getting out of it that easy. But finally he made it. He knew, he saw it. What would you do if you actually saw that place? And then God said, you're going to have to stay on earth for a while. Keep me away from the strict nine. (laughs) Keep me away from the guns as I would get, be getting right back up there as quick as I could. But a hundred years from now, and a thousand years from now, and two thousand years from now, phew, we, have got, we have got it made. That's about all I can say. All right. Any questions or any comments? Any questions or any comments? Can you put orders in ahead of time for what you want in your mansion? I don't know. Joe? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, if it's just a cubic mile. If it's floors. But here's, here's a thought. Right. What if the structure in the very center has like a open area. I mean, all the way through. And the throne of God is there. And the light is emanating from there throughout all that. And then there's decorations. I don't know, what kind of decoration? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing now. But could you imagine that? Maybe that's, maybe that's a possibility. You know, what's interesting is when he talks about the foundation of the wall, you know, my thought was, well, it's made out of these things. But he says they're garnished with these stones. So God has garnished these layers of foundation with these different precious stones. And if he's one to garnish things, maybe he's got other things garnished up there too. I don't know.
But I do know this, it ain't going to break and you don't have to fix it. The toilet will always flush, the ice maker will always work, the garbage disposal will never get clogged up, it'll be absolutely perfect. (laughs) Any other questions or comments? Yes. They do. That's 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 part of the theory, but you know I'm I'm seeing four square. I'm seeing length, width, and height. You know, so I'm. Beats me. <laughs> Just gonna have to wait till we get there, I guess. All right. Any other questions or comments? All right, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. And don't forget, prayer meeting, ladies, tomorrow night. Gentlemen, prayer breakfast, Saturday morning. And uh, we do have church on Sunday, so make sure you invite somebody to come. Father, we thank you for this time we've had here tonight. Lord, it has been mind-boggling to try to comprehend. You gave us enough, but you didn't give us enough. And so, Lord, uh, we've got an idea of the structure and the dimensions and all that. We just... Uh, can't wait until we get to see the real thing. And uh, Lord, I hope I wasn't too far off tonight. I hope I, I wish I could have described it better. Lord, maybe you can grant to us in, in our minds through the Spirit a little more idea of what this might be like. But Lord, we're just looking forward to the day. And anytime you want to blow that trumpet, Lord, we will not complain. But Lord, thank you for being such a good God. Thank you for loving us before you loving us before we loved you. And uh, doing what you did at Calvary and then offering a free gift of eternal life to us. Lord, we we are the most grateful people. Bless our weekend now. Pray for the prayer meetings coming up and Lord, if you would send somebody across our path that we can speak to them about you. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.